Welcome to the Pre-Vet Podcast. I'm Alex Avellino, your tour guide on the journey to becoming a veterinarian. Listen along as we provide you with tips, tricks, and tales on applying to veterinary school. Welcome back to the Pre-Vet Podcast. I'm Alex Avellino. Thank you for joining us today. And just a reminder, season three of the podcast is taking place during social distancing, so you might notice some changes in audio. Today, our guest is Dr. Kyle Donnelly, staff veterinarian at Brevard Zoo. Hey, Dr. Donnelly, how are you? Hi, Alex. Um, we're really excited to have you on the podcast today because so many pre-vet students want to be a zoo veterinarian. They want to work with these cool animals. So I'm excited that you can talk to us about your journey. Uh, will you tell us, you know, where did you go to undergrad? What was your major? Sure. It's great to be here. Um, I am a gator pretty much through and through. I w did my undergrad at UF and I stayed on to do my vet school at UF. I did briefly leave for a couple of years to go to the Animal Medical Center in New York City to do my internships. The first one was a small animal rotating internship, which is basically rotating through all the different specialties within small animal, uh, as well as spending a good chunk of time on emergency medicine. And then I stayed on an additional year to work with the exotic pets there. So mostly um, parrots, small pocket pets, plenty of reptiles. Um, and then after those two years were over, I came back to UF for a third time to do my zoo residency, which is a three-year program that works in the College of Vet Med, um, several small zoos in the state, and the final year at White Oak Conservation. Yeah, I... I always wanted to work in conservation and my initial thought going into college was that I wanted to do the PhD route, go more into like field work and really research driven work. Um, so my goal was to get involved in a lab early on in college and then eventually make my way into a PhD program. Um, and so the lab that I found um, a really good fit in was actually within the vet school working with Dr. Isco Larkin in the aquatic animal health department. And um, she put me out on a kayak in the middle of Crystal River and I did a lot of field work with manatees there and a lot of um, lab work within the vet school itself. And I had a great time. I really loved the, my, my time there and I could, you know, that was definitely a career option. But being in the vet school surrounded by a lot of these um, wildlife and aquatic and zoo veterinarians who were doing like a much broader scope than what I was doing was really um, that that was probably what's kind of switched me over to more of the vet med role than um, more of like a research driven one question focused role. So you mentioned conservation and I get students in my office every day who are like, I want to do wildlife conservation. And I yes. don't know that they know what that means, especially related to veterinary medicine. So can you break down how a veterinarian could play a role in wildlife conservation and, and maybe your take on what you think they think they want to do? Sure. Yeah, that's a that's another good one. So it, conservation medicine, I feel like is one of those keywords that sounds a lot cooler and is like kind of this like vague idea of like being out in the savannah doing something really awesome which is 
Yeah, there's a there's a, a like kind of a looser definition of what that could be, and that could be anything from just being a zoo vet and helping the animals in a zoo thrive and have great wellness, and then you can extrapolate that into you know you're teaching the public about these endangered species and you're making them happy and healthy. Um, but then there can be more kind of like niche definitions of that as well. So for instance, like some of the fun things that I get to do at my job is be part of um, the care of animals who are being studied for conservation efforts. So we have, for instance, like a Perdido Key, Perdido Key Beach Mice conservation program at the zoo, and there's a few around the state. And so we breed these uh, mice, they're an endangered mice that are really critical to sand dune health on the beaches. And so part of my job is making sure that they're healthy, um, taking genetic samples so that we can continue to learn about them, and then learning as much as we can during their entire life history. Um, we also are heavily involved in the scrub jays in the area. So sometimes I get to go out and collect blood for the, concert, the biologists who are studying them. Um, and then we have a sea turtle hospital. So I get to do lots of day-to-day -day care of the sea turtles at the zoo as well. So that could be one aspect. So if you're in an area locally where there are populations of animals that um, are being heavily studied or need some sort of healthcare, then a zoo vet could be involved in that sense. And then of course, there's a lot of bigger uh, organizations and local on the ground um, organizations who actually go to other places to do their research and help out in a veterinary capacity there. Um, I think it's important not to focus only on like the like the fun fieldwork aspect of things where you fly in a plane, you get dropped in some exotic jungle, you collect field samples and then you leave. Um, I think we, what we should be doing and really striving for in the zoo community is getting away from some of that colonial medicine idea and actually like working and building better relationships with the infrastructure of the people who live there and building those partnerships like transcontinentally instead of just like popping in doing fun stuff and leaving. Wow, I I love that you just said um, like colonization and colonization. <laughs> that's deep. So can you, can you elaborate a little bit more on what that means? Yeah, so I think um, this is kind of getting away a little bit of how to be a zoo vet, but it's important to know like if you're going into this thinking like, I want to be a conservation vet and I want to go fun places and do fun things and then go back to my suburban house in, you know, somewhere in Florida, then um, it kind of gets away from the idea that we are an entire globe of people who all are working for the same thing, but we need to keep the a lot of the power and the decision making on the stakeholders of the people who live in these areas. So indigenous peoples are making like they are they are in charge of the stewardship of like 35% of the world's coastline, which is one of like a heavy area that people study is on the coastlines of places. And if we keep the power with those people, then they're going to be the best stewards of that place because they live there, they've grown up there. And because of our colonial past and our people's ability to just pop in and out of places because of the way that the power has been um, ununiformly distributed, then you can go into a place and you can kind of take advantage of the science behind it and then take it back without really helping out the people who live there every day and who are actually in charge of those animals. Wow. <laughs> so <it's laughs> that is, I, so I, I hear you that like this could be off topic, but I think it's very important. The message that students you take home right now is you have a responsibility as a veterinarian and as a professional 
to do your research and know that whatever you do has a consequence. And mm-hmm. while some things maybe sound really good, like I'm going to go on this plane and get dropped into the Serengeti and help these animals. Yes. But if you're not actively involved in that community, one, mm-hmm. the things that you're doing and putting into practice there might fall away the second you leave. Yes. Two, you might disrupt tradition or you might disrupt like a power balance that's there. So yeah, anything that's, that we do, we should think it through a few steps and see um, how our, how our behavior can affect not only the animals, but the people that live there. Exactly. You really have to go back to the people and make sure they're being taken care of because they're the biggest resource in that area as well. And I think even to put it even into more current times within the COVID pandemic, Mm -hmm. a lot of long-term like longitudinal data of wildlife populations who have been monitored for years and years, there's going to be a big gap in some of these researchers who can't get to these isolated field areas because oh. there's not, they're not there to, to collect the data. And so it's taken a pandemic, I think, in some cases to realize that a lot of these labs and PIs should have been maybe training on the ground people who live there this whole time and yeah. put the power and investment back into those communities and then their data would be secure. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, there's a lot that we could learn, can learn yeah. from the pandemic. And um, I mean, I feel like what we're talking about is conservation. Like yeah. we're talking about making steps to make sure that whatever you do as a veterinarian, whether it's in your practice or abroad, can be long-term and can be sustained. Mm-hmm. So you got to think about those things. And I love the idea of not focusing just on the quote unquote fun stuff. Yes. Thinking about how can that fun stuff really help the population that you're looking at? Let's talk about your job. Yeah. What does your job look like on the day to day? So tell me about the zoo. Okay, so the Brevard Zoo is a probably a medium sized zoo if you look at the scale of all the zoos across America. Um, so we have a big collection of birds, we have some fish and some rays, a variety of hoofstock, rhino, zebra, um, a whole kangaroo mob, and a, a lot of diversity. Um, for, for people to come in and really get a fun immersive experience. So you can kayak around the zoo, you can walk in amongst all of our kangaroos, you can feed the lorries. Um, and so my job is taking care of those animals. It's mostly, um, we strive to work more towards preventative health. So keeping the animals as healthy as we can and try to avoid as many issues. Um, but because we care for these animals for the duration of their lives, you know, you have the, the normal, um, kind of lifespan of an animal as they get older. We, we're dealing with end-of-life care and things like that. Um, we also have a busy sea turtle hospital right on grounds at the zoo. So I divide my time between the zoo animals and the sea turtles. Um, we have sea turtles that come in year-round um, and a dedicated sea turtle staff to help care for them on a day-to-day basis. So my kind of my typical day would be getting to work in the morning. We go through our um, procedures. We try to get through all of our procedures in the morning, and that's for a few different reasons. One is a lot of zoo animals need to be fully anesthetized to do a safe exam on them. And so if we're going to do a big procedure where it involves immobilizing and anesthetizing an animal, we want to have as much of the rest of the day there to just make sure that they recover okay and they're doing fine and we can go home and sleep well that night. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, littler things that don't require anesthesia we'll do later on in the day. So if we can get a blood draw with just um, 
manually restraining an animal, or we can do a vaccine under voluntary restraint, which means the animal is trained to accept injections or some sort of like non-invasive medical procedure. We can do that later on in the day. Um, I'll walk around and do visual rechecks on things of, of issues that I've been managing for a while. Um, and then of course, the, the part that nobody likes to talk about is writing a lot of medical records at the end of the day, every day. Um, so that's kind of a typical day for us. How many veterinarians are on staff? Um, we have two full-time vets and a veterinary intern. So there's three um, certified vets there. And um, the intern is there for two years. So, and they've already gone, typically gone through a small animal internship. So they're a fully competent vet, but they're just there to learn even more. Um, so yeah, so there's, so some kind of sums it up to three vets. Okay. And so you said that your particular zoo has zoo animals and aquatics, right? So we have sea turtles. Mm -hmm. um, tell, is that, that's normal, right? I think Dr. Alexander told me that too, that like a lot of zoo vets are trained in like all of these animals. Yeah. What, yes. Like, how, how can you know <laughs> how to work with a rhino and a sea turtle? About that. Yeah. I mean, well, the thing is, it's kind of like, a little bit is like the, the saying jack of all trades expert in none, but we are, we are trained to learn as much as we can about all these different animals. And the, the big part of it is that so much of it is translational. So when you're going through vet school and you're learning as much as you can in the main species that they teach you in vet school, you then use those skills and that knowledge base to apply it in an internship setting, which is typically also small or large animal medicine with one of the traditional species. And that's where you can learn as much as you possibly can inside and out of those animals and practice the highest quality of medicine possible. And once you internalize all of that, you can really start to use the lessons that you have there and apply it to all these crazy zoo animals that you thought you might ne never have seen before. Um, and the truth is, there is still a lot we don't know. In fact, most of us don't know that much about anything. And it sounds kind of crazy because there's all these textbooks that you have to stuff into your brain. You sit through hundreds of hours of lectures and you read the best and most upcoming research that's published every month. But we still don't know a lot about a lot. And we, tr we basically use the lessons that we can from species that are most similarly related to those animals um, and, and do the best medicine based on what, we're, what we've learned already. Now I get a lot, so you said that we don't know a lot about it. I hear that a lot from like zoo vets. They're like, we don't know, we're figuring it out. Yeah. Um, and then, so like you went to vet school at UF, we don't have a ton of classes on exotics. Like we no. really have a very small number. And I think a lot of students come to UF because they know we have a zoo med team and they, but they want to learn more. What would you tell a student who wants to go into zoo med, who goes to UF or not, but they're not getting all that classroom experience? What do we tell those students? Yeah, there. so a lot of it has to be on you as the student to go out and find those experiences because you're absolutely right. There's not a huge chunk of vet school dedicated to zoo and exotic animals. Once you get past all of your first and your second year where you're learning all the basics of anatomy and physiology, you kind of hit the clinic floor. You may or may not get a zoo med rotation first time out. And then you go back at UF. It's a little bit different. You go back to the classroom after clinic and then you have some advanced courses in zoo animals but it's really going to be like 
one class in avian medicine or one class in rodents. And that is kind of the same theme where a lot of the lessons even within those lectures are built upon knowing the ins and outs of nutrition and every other species that we know a lot. And then you can apply it to the weird digestive tract of whatever weird species of bird you're looking at. But then from there, it's really a lot of digging on your own time. So getting the, the experience in a clinic setting, whether that be a zoo or an exotic pet practice, the, just the pattern recognition of handling all those animals over and over again and seeing common diseases and then going into the literature and learning more about them on what is being published is how you really get a grip on it. Yeah. Okay. That sounds... I, I feel like the benefit of that is every student can kind of take ownership of their education. You can get the experience that you want. And it's kind of, it relates to ZooMed because it will be a unique experience and these are unique animals. So I think that's helpful for students to know when they're picking a vet school, as long as you get that DVM degree, you can still pursue what you want. It's not, it doesn't necessarily matter where you get the DVM degree. Correct. Because you mold your education. Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of students come into my office and they're like, I only want to work on dolphins or I only want to work on elephants. Yeah. Let's talk about that. What are your <laughs> So I would say that there's probably one job I can think of where the vet is only working on elephants in the world. <laughs> right. It's right. It's very specific. Yes. So I would say that is probably not a realistic career goal. Mm -hmm. And I would also advise those students to really think about why they're getting into the career of, of either medicine or with that specific species. Because if your heart is set on working only with elephants, then veterinary medicine may not be the best way to do that. Um, there are other careers in which you can work only with elephants, and that may be like in a zoo setting, it could be in a research setting, but veterinary medicine, you're probably not ever going to be seeing just one species. Um, and part of that is just the nature of the jobs that are available, some things that are kind of like out of our hands as veterinarians, because we, you know, this is still a profession. So there is money exchanging hands. We have to do this for a living. And the nature of what jobs are out there is typically relating to zoos. Um, some research settings like lab animal settings can have some interesting species that people might be interested in. Um, some of the field work type things are not even usually the only part of a zoo veterinarian's career, but there just aren't really jobs out there for one species at a time. So um, some people might be not excited about that, but I think it's really exciting to be able to have so much diversity on a day-to-day -day basis. Right, exactly. And I always think about Dr. Larkin, you know, who you were in her lab, and I feel like she's queen of the manatees, but she did a PhD. So Correct. Yeah. able to focus on one animal and, study yes. and get to know them. So if that really does end up being someone's lifelong goal, then maybe approach the PhD program where you can be very specific. What are your thoughts on Tiger King? Oh, gosh. <laughs> Tiger King was, I mean, I... I really enjoy the memes associated with Tiger Me. Sure, yes. <laughs> but um, I think it raised a lot of problematic issues in the world of exotic pet trade. Mm -hmm. um, 
and it was probably more leaning towards the entertainment side of things than um, really blowing the lid off of exotic pet trade. Yeah. Um, so I kind of just take it as face value for what it was trying to accomplish, which was uniting the world in COVID world against Carol Baskin and all <laughs> of the, the craziness around that. Right. We needed it. We needed it. <laughs> right. Something to joke about. But yep. no, it is a serious problem for a lot of those big cats. And um, there, there is work, good work being done by the Association of Zoos and Aquariums to try to limit those types of roadside attractions and really kind of uh, put on a put to a higher standard what zoos and aquariums should be and really promoting the idea that um people and institutions within the aza are what we should be striving for sure perfect um is your job dangerous can Uh, it be dangerous i mean i think any job within veterinary medicine can be dangerous i think that there is a strong argument to be made that we are working with the most dangerous animals and yet we probably are one of the more safer professions in that we have to anesthetize all these animals to work with them so instead of just kind of like powering through an aggressive dog exam we don't even start we don't even do that ever so i would say yeah, most of our animals are totally anesthetized. Um, there's always, you know, small risks associated with the induction and the waking up process. But I would say, all things considered, we you could probably make a strong argument that we're even safer than large animal medicine and, and shelter medicine and some of the things. Yeah. There. <laughs> wow, I think that is a great, um, like, mindset to adopt for everybody what might you know don't judge a book by its cover you know these yeah. folks are working with yeah dangerous animals where they're not walking right up to them and trimming their their hooves you know right. they're, they're gonna put them under anesthesia and it can end up being safer and yeah like a general practitioner might end up coming home with a lot more wounds than you guys do that's exactly right that's interesting <laughs> okay now i Let's talk about job outlook and how competitive the field is. And I'll quote Dr. Alexander, who was on season one, and we talked about Zoom Med. Um, She didn't say this on the podcast, but she said it to my undergrad class. She had the whole class. She asked them, how much do you think a vet gets paid to like go out into the wild and work with elephants who are just like out in the wild? And so students were throwing out random numbers and she ends up saying zero because that's not a real job. And she was basically saying that like folks might do that as like a passion profession and they might go do some volunteer work, but in general, like those wild animals aren't owned by anybody. They're owned by the wild. So who's going to pay the veterinarian to go out and do that? So talk to me about the competitiveness and the niche quality that is ZooMed. Yeah. So there, as a person who is trying to get into ZooMed, you are not in a position of power. And that is for a couple of reasons. One is that there are way more people interested in being a zoo vet than there are zoo vet jobs. And so what that does to you as a candidate for that position is it makes it really difficult to even get in the door. And then once you're in, you don't have a lot of power in your salary because there's so many people who will take that job right behind you if you don't. So what ends up happening is either you don't get into the field or you do and zoo vets are paid on average less or the same as a starting graduate. So somebody who hasn't done an internship walks out after the day after graduation 
and works at a general practice, you get about the same as a board certified zoo vet. Right. So uh, some of that has to do with the fact that most zoos are nonprofit and there's just not a lot of money to be had there. But I think a lot of it too comes down to just being in that poor position of power when it comes to what's out there and what's available to you. So sort of like what you're saying with Dr. Alexander, this is really a career for passion. And so you can make a living wage, but it is nowhere near what is what your colleagues will be, will be making. So, um, yeah, it's very, it's very tough to get into, especially with there not just not being very many positions available. So then tell the students who are dying to be a zoo vet, like this is all they want. Like how, how did you get here? Like what made you different? What's the secret sauce that they need to know? Or is it just all the stars have to align? Like what can they do to make them competitive? Yeah, so there, I would say to, there's not a cookie cutter way to get into ZooMed. And I think that's unique in ZooMed compared to a lot of the other specialties. Like, for instance, if you want to be a surgeon, you need to do a small animal rotating internship, you basically need to do a surgery internship, and sometimes two, and then you can do a residency and be a surgeon. You, you basically have to do that formula to be a surgeon or any of the other ones. ZooMed is not that way. We, you don't need to be a board certified zoo vet to practice zoo medicine. So if you are lucky enough to be in an area where there is a zoo that needs an extra set of hands, then you can do both small animal and zoo med, or you can just get involved maybe directly after an internship and never go the board certified direction. And you can still practice high quality medicine that way. Um, and then as far as internships go, you don't necessarily need to follow that rule either. So I did what's considered probably more of a traditional route where I did the internships and then that led into a residency and which led into um, getting my board certification and starting a zoo job. Um, and that is probably the most direct and straightforward way, but there are little things that can lead you off of that path for various reasons. Let's say you don't match for an internship or um, your residency applications don't pan out, again, just because there are so few of them available on a year-to-year -year basis. You don't have to give up if that doesn't happen. And if you want to practice in that field, there are ways to get involved. Even if it's not a full-time zoo position, you can maybe reach out to your local zoo and see if there's any research projects you can help with, or even come in on a volunteer basis or like an on-call basis. Some zoos will do that. So there's definitely ways to get involved once you're past that area. I would say to make yourself the absolute strongest candidate, you can be in vet school and after. Um, I, would, I would advise you to do as well as you can in school. A lot of it does come down to if you're looking through a pile of residency applications, you're going to want the ones who stand out a little bit more. So do well in school. That's kind of a very basic recommendation. Um, and then make yourself as well-rounded as you can. And so a lot of the fun thing, going back to like staying away from things that are just superficially very fun, is that getting experience at a big zoo or an aquarium as an extern in vet school is super fun, but it's kind of like the icing on the cake. Like, yes, you want that and it's going to be really fun, but that's not necessarily what's going to make you stand apart once you're putting in those residency applications. So what will make you above and beyond is if you have your own research project, if you publish your own research project, that's like 
chef's kiss stuff. You want that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, and then while you're at rotating through those different institutions, building relationships with the veterinarians there will help you down the road. It's a very small community. You want strong letters of recommendation for your residency application. So, um, you know, just building relationships within the field, getting involved in research, doing well in vet school. Um, those are those are good. And of course, going to the conferences also helps meet people within the field, build relationships, network, that'll open doors to other rotating positions you could do. Um, so yeah. Yeah, awesome. I like that what students should be doing to prepare to get into vet school is similar to what you should be doing to prepare to become you know, a zoo, like get that residency if that's what you want. So the research, the extracurricular activities, the leadership, the great grades, all of those things, like it's not stopping guys. So stick with this plan. Yeah. What resources, what are your top resources that you would say, you know, first day zoo med vet, they need to have this. Um, so I would say, Starting out with some core textbooks is a good, it's kind of like the Wikipedia of that specific taxonomy would be um, the Fowler series. So um, F-O-W-L-E-R? Yes. So there are, we're up to the ninth edition of that book. Um, the eighth edition is the one that goes through each taxa by chapter. So, you know, it starts at fish and it goes to, actually it doesn't have fish in that book, but it has, it has most of the terrestrial, like more traditional zoo taxonomy. And then, um, then there's special topics in the ones that come after that. So that's a nice um, intro to a lot of zoo medicine. Um, I would also highly recommend having journal access because that's where the most up-to-date and current research is gonna be published on either a quarterly or sometimes a monthly basis. So things like the Journal of Zoo and Wildlife Medicine, um, JAVMA, the Journal of the American Veterinary Medical Association, um, uh, the Journal of Avian Medicine and Surgery. Those are just a few of the main ones that we read on a regular basis. You know, I feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you a couple lightning round questions. Ooh. So we're going to do lightning round and we'll do okay. this speedily. What comes to mind when I say coolest animal you've ever worked with? Penguin. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Why, why were they the coolest? Well, they're kind of just like the holy grail of wild animals. Yeah. They're, they're so absurd on face value. And they're also have all this mystique about them because they're the most highly trafficked animal in the world. And they're under heavy threat from traditional medicine uses and all kinds of illegal hunting practices. So, um, yeah, and they're just like a crazy awesome animal. Yeah, good answer. Uh, animal that you're like, I hate working with this animal. Oh, God. I mean, probably our petting zoo goats don't tell the zoo. <laughs> <laughs> and why don't we love the goats? Well, they're just very needy. <laughs> yeah, okay. I feel like the thing is that domestic animals don't have that wildlife um, urge to live. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> so genetic piece. Yeah, like rabbits when I was in private practice were also a huge pain for me. <laughs> they they just don't want to live. They have a death wish, do they? Yes. 
dream animal that you haven't worked with yet, but you're dying to work with? Oh, um, I really wanted to work with tapers and then I got this job. So that was awesome. Um, and I got to work with the manta rays like a little bit as a vet student at the Georgia Aquarium, but it would be awesome to do manta ray medicine more intensively. If you were a zoo med animal, who are you and why? Mm, I am a bowhead whale because they, they are just like a crazy animal that lives under the ice in the North Pole. Not that I necessarily identify with being cold, but people thought that there was like two of them left. And then all the people who actually live in the North Pole were like, no, dude, there's like a million of them. And they just live under the ice. And when they need to take a breath of air, they just smash their giant head through the ice and then take a breath and then exist on. And they just do their own thing. And nobody even knows that they're, that they're there. Oh, I've never even heard of them. Finally, if you could describe your job slash career in one word, it is... Chaos. <laughs> and why is it chaos? Uh, it's just different all the time. Um, no, I, I've very rarely gotten into a, a routine where I feel like, okay, this is just how it is now. And then something happens to totally change that. Um, but for the most part, it's organized chaos. And I like that. Um, I don't like getting into a routine. But yeah, things always are changing in ZoomEd. Oh, it sounds fun. I always like to ask guests, what advice do you have for pre-vet students who are trying to get into vet school? What's your biggest piece of advice for them? I would say stay open-minded. Don't pigeonhole yourself into saying Zoom Ed or bust because there's so much more. You, you have to really be the best doctor possible. And to do that, it's to be good at all animals. And the most animals that we know about are the ones that you learn about in vet school. So be a veterinarian for the love of medicine and science and not for the thrill of working with crazy animals um, and do it for them because that's how you're gonna be the best for them. Wow, great advice, Dr. Donnelly. Thanks so much for being on the podcast today. We loved hearing about the organized chaos of ZooMed and knowing that <laughs> it's possible, that students really can get involved with these animals. It just might not look like the path that they thought it was going to. Exactly. If you, if you want to do it, there's a way to do it. Awesome. I'm Alex Avellino, and we'll talk to you soon.